Uh, and everybody storms. And it's really funny because they're storming in with these notes. And, and Carlotta's, like, pointing at Raul. Now I'm pronouncing it like like Christine. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Emmy Rossum got to us. Raul. <laughs> Raul. <laughs> She's like pointing at Raul. She's like, "You wrote this note." And Raul is this like, 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 I hate to use the term. He's like this soy boy. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) (laughs) yes. Finally, the podcast (laughs) takes the right wing turn. We always knew it would. Welcome to Mortify, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations, all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm Lot666, the Chandelier! And this week, we activate full Keat Theater Kid mode and watch both The Phantom of the Opera and Love Never Dies. Before we bring a chandelier down on a crowd of unsuspecting Parisians, remember you can help us on Mortify, the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or or Spotify, signing up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter and Tumblr at MortifiedPod. So, uh, uh, an addendum about our newsletter, by the way, is that it's revamped. So now, uh, what we have is a uh, a second chance take theater, basically. And sometimes when Aaron and I hit stop record, we're like, dang, we missed a point. Like, one time we didn't talk about Goofy dying. We wish we did. So, uh, if you sign up for our newsletter, which comes out at the beginning of every month, you will now get a bonus take from each of us, including also our three monthly recommendations that we don't talk about on this podcast. So please go to the link in our show notes and sign up for our newsletter. Yep. Uh, this week, or this month rather, Layla talked about Natalie Portman getting a fucking crop top in episode two of star wars and i talked about um some critical response to undertale so uh, it's a really good one definitely check that out um here a long time listeners will understand uh why we are so excited today however um if you listen to one of our very early episodes of mortified we we briefly touch on the one of the subjects of today's uh podcast and, and we had just have a full 15 minute rant about it um if you liked that uh you're gonna have a good time today um uh, i know the conceit of mortified is that we recommend things that at least one of us has not seen before generally or we try something new this time we're talking about a thing that we've both seen and have very strong feelings about uh which is of course the famous andrew lloyd Webber musical the phantom of the opera and it's a uh, notorious sequel, uh, Love Never Dies. And um, Layla, just how are you feeling? <laughs> Why did we do this? Um, th- the lie answer is that the anniversary of the, I think, Melbourne production of Love Never Dies is this year. Uh, I think it's in September. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah. But the real answer is like, I just have so much fun talking about musical theater, uh, especially with you. So I, I thought it would be really fun just to really dig deep into our Andrew Lloyd Webber uh, pathologies. Yeah. Hey, uh, y'all have probably already noticed this. We're we're willing to bet that this is a long one. We talked about this yesterday. This is probably going to run over our, our beautiful little general time of 45 minutes to an hour. Um if you can make it through this episode and still love us at the end, you're saddled with us for life. God bless you. Uh, you're about to hear some heinous shit, I think. <laughs> um, so, Layla, 
we're we're just going to start with the plot summaries of both of these musicals, I think, and then go into the characters um, and, and get a little bit more deep into their backstories and motivations. How would you sum up the plot of The Phantom of the Opera? The Phantom of the Opera is a, a long-running musical based on a French novel uh, that is about a... Uh, ballet dancer who becomes the prima donna of an opera because she is the beneficiary of someone she refers to as the angel of music who in fact turns out to be the murderous phantom of the opera who is a a man who lives in the sewers and has just an incomparable fucking budget for props and practicals um he is a well-known factor of this opera, uh, the the Opera Populaire in, in Paris. And uh, the 2004 Gerard Butler-centric film version of this that we watched uh, uh, does posit that... Uh, listen, shit just goes sideways. This movie is insane. I'm really trying to parse my knowledge of, of Phantom of the Opera and, and bring it up against the movie that we watched. But basically what you need to know is a ghost man tries to groom a teenage prima donna and has questionably magic powers. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. Um, it's a good time. A lot of weird stuff happens. There's a, there's a you know, a handsome count. Is Raoul a count? Uh, the uh, Viscount. He's a, v- he's he a Viscount, yes. Okay. Uh, he, um, you know, is the person who woos this dancer whose name is Christine. Uh, eventually they get together uh, despite the uh, Phantom's best efforts. And, uh, you know, at the end, the Phantom nearly kills them both, but uh, he lets them go. And it's because Christine, you know, says that she will try to love him. And, um, you know, it has a happy ending. Um, and that, that went great. You know, the Phantom of the Opera is to this day, the longest running musical on Broadway. It it is, you know, the, the epicenter of Andrew Lloyd Webber's, uh, storied career. Yeah. And I think the thing that appeals to people about the Phantom of the Opera is that it is not, it does not shy away from like melodrama. Like it is a very melodramatic, uh, piece of work, right? And there's even like kind of a, a cheeky little nod to that fact. And there's a piece of dialogue where the two new owners of the uh, the theater, which that's part of the conflict, is is uh, there's a theater owner who acknowledges the Phantom and meets all of his demands, which is box five must be kept empty, and he has a, a crazy salary, a monthly salary that he gets for again, I think props and practicals. Um, and uh, when the theater changes ownership to the two new owners, they think this is a joke and refuse to meet his demands, which makes the Phantom get very violent very quickly. Um, but there is like a cheeky nod that they make, which is like half of the stories that are happening here, nobody would believe in real life, but you give it to an audience and they'll pay to see it for hours, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of moments of like, Christine is the daughter of this Swiss violinist and or Swiss or Swedish? Swedish. Swedish. She's the daughter of the Swedish violinist and 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 she thinks that it's his spirit guiding her and teaching her how to sing. And she unabashedly tells people about this. Everyone's like, Christine, Christine, who is your tuta? And she's like, the ghost in the walls. He comes out of my mirror and he like gives me voice voice lessons. It's really cool. Uh do you want to meet him sometime? It's the angel of music, guide and guardian. Yeah. Like, and everyone's like hey christine you should see a fucking doctor 
<laughs> well, Meg is like, you should see a fucking doctor. Yeah. Raul just gaslights her. I'm sorry. Raul. Raul. <laughs> Raul <laughs> gaslights her. Um, so, yeah, but then the, the Phantom uh, um, is, is kind of... It is implied he is her father's age because, not implied, he is her father's age because Madame Giri saved him when they were the same age. And Madame Giri. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. And Madame Giri, Meg's mom, Meg is the same age as Christine. So. Which is uh, to say 16 years old. (laughs) Yeah, 16 year old dancers. Um, And so Phantom does have moments, or sorry, his name is Eric. And out of disrespect for him, I will be referring to him as Eric. Um, Eric does um, call her a child several times and, like, refer to himself as, like, a father figure, but also wants to marry her. Um, it is it is an insane relationship. And, and uh, unfortunately, like, he is a dangerous man. Like, he kills people. And Raul is like, he's not real. Baby, stop gaslighting your girlfriend. Yeah, I mean, like, Raul was in the audience when the Phantom dropped a man, like, hanging from a noose in the middle of the second act. Like, I don't know why Raul is is so anti-Phantom until, like, he literally has a sword fight with him <laughs> in a graveyard. Uh, but, yeah. um, you know, I think Raul is, is stupid, um, but, like, I don't think he's evil in, in Phantom of the Opera. No. Um, and we'll, you know, in the sequel, that does get changed. <laughs> well, so do you want to tell us a little bit about the sequel? So the sequel, which originally aired, uh, you know, came out in on the London West End in 2010, is called Love Never Dies. It takes the story of Phantom of the Opera, but takes a lot of its main characters and sets them in like a Coney Island amusement park in, uh, I want to say, 1915 uh, in America. And um, basically, it's just like, okay, so the Phantom escapes after he burns down the theater. Uh, what if he? went to America, became a rich benefactor or, you know, businessman with the help of Meg and Madame Jiri, and was also super obsessed with Christine for the past, you know, 10 years, um, and then asked uh, her to come and hang out with him uh, secretly. You know, he, he basically invites her and Raul and their child, uh, Gustav, to, to his, his amusement park to sing for one night uh, in order to help wipe away Raul's uh, gambling debts because Raul's character has changed to be an alcoholic and a gambler and, you know, it is heavily implied that he is abusive to Christine, uh, which, you know, we'll talk about those character choices. Um, but yeah, basically that that story goes through the conflicts and, and the thing that is going to come up is that basically it talks about how Christine actually has been in love with the Phantom the whole time. Uh, never truly loved Raul um and he he basically proposes that Christine should if Christine sings at this at this uh amusement park opening then he he makes a bet with Raul that if she does he, Raul will have to leave her um and Raul takes that bet he loses that bet uh and then Meg Giri, who is supposed to be you know the opening act until Christine showed up gets like furious and upset because she'd worked so hard to help the phantom build his fortune that she kids kidnaps their son gustav um you know threatens to throw him off a pier but uh in the end you know that they all talk her down uh the phantom makes a tiny slip up and uh meg shoots christine on accident um and and that's how 
that musical ends with um christine dead and the phantom and, and raul and gustav all very sad uh great you know great way to handle your legacy andrew uh just take take all of that goodwill that's built up over the last 20 30 years and flush it down the toilet but we'll we'll talk about those choices in a bit <clears throat> yeah um i think it's a pretty good summary of love never dies i will make one uh, uh point which is that uh the phantom does not invite christine overseas a guy named Hammerstein does, and You're then the right. Phantom outbids him. Yes, that's correct. I'm sorry. So uh, the Phantom did not have any contact with Christine. He does have a very big portrait of her that he plays piano underneath. It's um, really good. <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, again, does not shy away from the melodrama. I will say, needed more melodrama. Yes, we'll... We'll, let's hold off on our, our L&D reaming until, you know, uh, minute 30 of this podcast. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, yeah. did you end up watching the 2011 Melbourne edition of yes. Whatever Dies? Okay, perfect. Yes. So we're, we're working from the same reference point. We are working um, from the, yeah, just uh, listeners, uh, uh, beautiful uh, questers, I guess. Uh, uh, I let me tell you, I was expecting that we were going to watch the 25th anniversary uh, a performance, a staged performance of Phantom of the Opera on Netflix. But no, we watched the 2004 movie. So, yes, we are both working from the same reference. Boy, but let me tell you, finding out we were watching the Gerard Butler one, Butler one did throw me for a bit of a loop. So this is... <laughs> We are working from some angles today. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a strange combination, but that's kind of what this program is for. Um, I mean, for, to clarify why I wanted to watch the 04 version, that's the first version that I ever saw of Phantom. Uh, it was uh, my wife Sierra's favorite, you know, musical, and, and she, like, watched that DVD constantly. So, you know, when we first started dating, she was like, okay, I want to show you, like, my most favorite thing. And, and we watched it, and, like, that's how I was like, oh, this is, like, kind of good. Um, and you know, I'll say straight up Phantom of the Opera is still my favorite musical. Um, and we can, we'll have a conversation about whether or not that's earned. Uh, but I'm, I'm ready to throw down. I really, really like it. Um, but yeah, shall we, shall we dig a little bit further into the characters, um, before we hit our many, many talking points? I think we should. I think we should dig into the characters, starting with our girl, uh, our plot point, our plot device, Christine Dye. <laughs> Christine Daae is, uh, I have such mixed feelings about Christine because like she is ultimately the, you know, focal point of a love triangle, right? Between Raul and the phantom, Eric, um, you know, she, she is fought over, she is obsessed over, you know, she, she is for all intents and purposes, an object, except for the fact that I feel like because of this love triangle, she has a little bit more agency, um, not necessarily a whole lot a lot of that agency is spent going to secret shrines in the bottom of the opera house and you know praying to her father's ghost uh or going to her father's grave and um you know talking about how sad she is um but i do think you know she does have a little bit of choice right she does in the first movie choose to be with eric and then uh, and or not Eric with uh, Raoul in the second movie choose to be with Eric, um, and then you know she makes the choice to sing for the Phantom. She makes the choice to. She's heavily pressured uh, in the first in, in Phantom, but she she does agree to Raoul's plan to act as bait uh, to lure the Phantom out. Um, but you know she 
I do wish that she was given more unfortunately right she she is not as much of an actor as i would like but i think that also just the character of christine die is, is dear to me because of just the great songs that she sings um I, you know i i feel very emotionally connected to the songs that that christine sings and, and they're they're really important to me so like despite all the flaws that you know this character has i i still like her quite a bit yeah i mean the whole point of christine is to be endearing you know she is supposed to be this like innocent lamb i guess for the first half of the musical and then by the end she's like this temptress i guess um but yeah i mean that's the problem with christine is is she's not given a whole lot of choice um and the way phantom of the opera is framed is it makes it seem like eric has like a hypnotic hold over her almost a lot of the time like she kind of loses spatial and sensory awareness when she's around him um it's very vampire-y in that sense right like he has almost a glamour uh upon christine yes 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 yes. and um yeah she's not really it's it's almost strange to call it a love triangle because it is clear as soon as the first murder happens honestly even before then uh when she understands that like the phantom is not the like paternal spirit that she thought he was but is instead like a real man obsessed with her that lives in a sewer um he is no longer a romantic option for her in the context of the phantom of the opera the original work based on a novel like he's very much supposed to be this thing that has been corrupted by a lack of compassion right and christine is compassion and even in the musical, right, we get how afraid she is of him. Um, yes. You know, she she constantly is talking about how afraid she is. And she's like, she he's going to kill all of us. Raul, do something. Um, but like, yeah, it, I like that read quite a lot because it's very much like, yeah, she, she is the embodiment of all the things that the Phantom never got because of his um, facial deformity. We probably should have mentioned that. Uh, uh, if you don't know anything about the Phantom of the Opera, uh, the, I want to say, right side of his face has uh, is described as... In, in the novels is like having his eyes like sunken in and like it looks like his his face is a skull on the right side um in the 04 movie it just looks like he has like a pretty bad bout of psoriasis uh <laughs> which yeah, like some lotion and some therapy would clear him right up but instead he does some murders mm-hmm. yeah uh, which speaking of let's talk about eric as the phantom um so the background of this is that he was part of a freak show um and specifically uh, by romani people which sucks uh in the movie right the 04 movie says oh it was you know slurs that came and uh you know they came into town with their circus which sucks um but the gaston larue didn't say that in the original fandoms uh from fucking uh normandy i believe so like it's it's a lot so that that part sucks and the movie deserves to be uh reamed for that but uh, yeah i mean he was framed as what the devil's child right because of yes. spatial deformity devil's child yeah which, again pretty ableist and gross yeah pretty icky um but you do find out that that's where the uh uh there's like a, a monkey music box from the opening that is the lot 665 at the the uh, auction flash forward opening from from both the movie and the musical there's a, a it opens with an auction um 
And uh, yeah, speaking of melodrama, like that—that's a moment when that chandelier gets wheeled out, and the way that the the quote unquote like present tense of the story gets revealed is when the uh, the chandelier gets auctioned because it had fallen and is broken. It rises up to this like organ theme, that infamous theme of the Phantom of the Opera. It is the mm-hmm. most like intense bombastic moment it is so so fun and so so engaging um but uh uh before that lot 665 is this monkey music box and like you find out that's relevant because it's like eric's music box that he's had since he was a child but so he uh strangles the man who's like running his portion of the show to escape madame jiri who was his age and the child also at that time rescues him takes him to the basement of the opera the funniest part about that scene for me in the movie is that the mob with the torches gathers so fucking quickly were they just they, waiting for a murder? Str- oh, listen, it's Paris. Uh, I think Paris Parisians are always ready for a good riot. I think they have those pitchforks like on hand. Yeah, because because it took no time for somebody to cry for help for like a full mob to just like come in and try to fuck this kid shit up. Uh, but so yeah, he lives in the par- the basement of the opera. Madame Girino sees there, and she's like kind of his messenger. Um, they never really interact. He does let her see him, though, like, while he's moving around the opera house. Um, and yeah, he's a, a dramatic little son of a bitch with a big props budget. He is covered in candles. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll talk about the infamous candle lair. <laughs> um, it's really, really good, though. Um, Eric's rival, of course, is Raoul, uh, the aforementioned Viscount uh, of Shani. Um, I mean... I don't know that there's much to say about Raul from from Fra- Phantom. I think he is, you know, kind of ignorant and, and, and you know, doesn't really pay attention to Christine. He is, uh, you know, an insolent boy, uh, according mm-hmm. to the Phantom. But, you know, he's just like kind of a, a nice guy who used to, you know, he and Christine used to be, you know, childhood playmates, basically, like when they were seven. Um, you know, they used to hung, hang out. He calls her Little Lottie. That's like a cute nickname for her. Um, and... He's just, like, kind of a nice, rich guy, I guess. Yeah, he is, um... He's a little bit of a tool, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a point at which Christine is like, yo, I got a concert, like, in the Phantom is strict, I can't just leave. He's like, yeah, whatever, I'll have my horses outside in yeah. two minutes. Um, he also does use Christina's bait, and uh, my favorite scene, the masquerade, uh, Phantom walks in in this, like, tight-as-hell red outfit with a sword, and the moment Raul sees that he has a sword, he just leaves. He dips he's just like <laughs> bye that man has a sword i didn't think he was real um but i'm gonna go uh later christine and like i thought i thought he was gonna come back with like the cops or something but i don't think he does no he really doesn't he reappears somewhere in that scene but yeah, like like i'm sure it was like a setup like oh he was gonna go get like a weapon or, or like you know a big net to try to catch the phantom or whatever <laughs> um but like he does very much leave christine alone with this man yeah she's just christine like standing fully exposed in the middle of this masquerade ball while the phantom is like beguiling her to put down her pride and come back to him as his like trainee or whatever um at while threatening everyone else in the room so it's very like boy where are you going (laughs) yeah it's it's very good um uh but uh we can go from here to uh, talk about madame jiri who we've mentioned a couple of times 
she is kind of um, Christine's surrogate mom and Meg's biological mom. She is a ballet instructor at the uh, the opera, and she's in charge of the dancers. Uh, she is the one most likely to keep trying to tell people that, no, the Phantom is real and you should listen to him because he will fuck your shit up. Um, and she's very much like a mentor character. Um, she, she's very, like, appreciative of both Meg and Christine. She's very supportive, um, which we'll talk about the Love Never Dies interpretation of Madame Jury because it is not that at Mm -hmm. all. Yeah. Um, it's... Yeah, Madame, Madame Jury, I think, is a very likable character in, in the first one. She's very much like, I don't want the Phantom to keep hurting people, but also I am friends with him and I know what he's been through. And I, you know, I, I am also, I also care about him and, and his health and well-being. So, like, I, I think she's a very interesting character and is deployed well. You know, she she is like, hey, uh, Raul, I know you're going after this guy. Keep your hand at level your eyes because, you know, he's got this magic lasso. Um <laughs> which is a very funny concept. Um, but like, yeah, I really like, I really like Madame Jiri and she gets done absolutely dirty and love never dies. Um, similarly, her daughter Meg also gets done dirty and love never dies. Um, in Phantom, I don't think Meg is given much to do, unfortunately, you know, but she's just sort of like, a a little, a little bit of a grounding element. It shows that Christine isn't just completely isolated, which is nice. She does have this one very good friend. Uh, like we said, you know, who is like, Hey, Christine, there's no such thing as angels that come and give you music lessons. Yeah, uh, I think I, I agree with that. I think not only is she a grounding element, but she's the reason Christine doesn't appear to be like, you know, there's that trope sometimes in with these characters that are supposed to be these like innocent kind of like redeemers that they're isolated and misunderstood, but they're actually like pure of heart or whatever, right? The, the like kind of Disney princess like damsel trope almost yeah no it meg exists to make sure that or i don't think no that this was intentional but like it make it helps so that christine doesn't fall into the not like other girls category yes she's a a very reliable female friend i will get into the fact that they are gay um (laughs) that's text uh if you ask me uh but uh, uh yes so so they're they're great. I really like Meg. She she does disappear in like the second act of the movie for some reason. Like she just n- has nothing to do in the second act, and then reappears um, for like a second in the third act, basically to like give the Phantom room to escape, mm-hmm. um, under the 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 tutelage of her mother. And uh, so the last character is main character is. Uh, a love never dies exclusive <laughs> it is the uh, uh son of christine and eric the phantom uh gustav who Spoiler i alert, love by the way uh oh yeah um but yes gustav who is just a sad little emo boy um who who wants his uh father to love him but his father now sucks so he he's very misunderstood yes uh and the thing i, I love about gustav is that when the phantom was like hanging out with him uh, in his, like, cool circus lair, I guess. Uh, he does call his sense of musicality, like, dangerous and, and mystical, I dangerous think. Or, like, dangerous and wild, yeah. Dangerous and wild. He sings in half tones. That's it. That's the dangerous thing about him, is sometimes he'll uh, do a flat note. Or a sharp. Mm-hmm. And that's it. He Pretty sings. crazy. Yeah, it's buck wild, you know, just really getting into uh, uh, 
like that kind of ghost-like floaty minor scale shit dangerous mm-hmm. and wild that's how you know that's how you know that he's the phantom son is because he can't not sing in minor keys yeah <laughs> uh, gustav is wild because the way the like opening of love never dies is kind of structured is it for some reason the way the musical parts are spaced with the spoken parts like there's no clear transition it does kind of make it seem like gustav is singing while everyone is talking in canon mm-hmm. like he responds in song it is weird I, I, I'm, it's it's odd and i'm not sure what to do with it. it it's it's very strange yeah um let's talk real quick about how these characters change in love never dies since we introduced gustav um you know Basically, what happens to you know Christine is that after you know ten years after this this phantom incident, she you know ha- ha- is still a well renowned singer, but she hasn't performed um, since that since that accident. Um, I don't believe, and you know she she is in this loveless relationship with Raoul, uh, where he is you know become a, a drunkard and an alcoholic and and, and he's you know a gambler and he's abusive and you know raul won't even play with his kid and uh you know christine is kind of like sick of him but you know she's talking about how you have to there's a whole song where she's like look love you can't see love with your eyes you have to see it with your heart and it's like ah the gaslighters anthem we love it yeah for real like uh, uh she's she's like love can come in like unexpected forms it's like ma'am that means like Maybe someone has trouble expressing their feelings with their words, but they remember your birthday every year, and they're really good at buying a gift. That, that, I would accept that, you know? That's fine. If you have trouble telling, being affectionate with your words, but you, you do things with your actions that support the fact that you love that person, okay, whatever, you know? That's, that's for your individual relationship to figure out how that works. Not... Being mean to your son and saying that his song gives you a headache and for him to shut up and be quiet in a corner somewhere and then you go get drunk with Mr. Hammerstein or whatever. No. No. I don't like that. And she does that shit again later when uh, 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 she is dying in the Phantom's arms and she's like, Gustav, even though I swore to Eric that I'm, I was ever going to tell you, fun fact, this guy who you last time you saw him showed you his face and you screamed and ran away from him. This is your papa. This is your dad now. And Eric is like, what the fuck are you doing? You promised me you'd never tell him. What the fuck? She's like, well, because you made a shitty, unprompted bet with my husband, you're all he has now. Yeah, it's and really good. blood is thicker than water or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's the final message that Love Never Dies is, is that the people that you are biologically related to are the most important, um, which fucking sucks um yeah uh eric's character doesn't change much he's still like wildly obsessed with uh christine he gets Uh, aged down yeah i mean they do thankfully make him younger which is nice he's not like a 70 year old uh at this point uh they definitely shift the timelines around i I made note of it yeah he's still he's still a creep and then like we've said meg and madame jiri get done so dirty because that mentor figure of madame jiri like just goes away she is now this vindictive like 
uh, uh, almost sneaky, like hard, like incredibly. Her and Meg are both really obsessed with the Phantom's approval, which I just don't understand because they didn't fucking do anything. They could have still smuggled the Phantom out as they do in in this version of the canon. Um, But they have like insane dance credentials. They could have gone to any company in Paris or if they wanted to get out of France, they could have gone to Russia, which had like a very good relationship with France at the time. A lot of crossover there. They could have gone literally anywhere. How did they end up in Coney Island with Meg canonically selling like, like be like doing sex work, not consensually to make ends meet so that the Phantom could buy a circus? It's so fucking gross. It, it, like, if that, if I wasn't already, like, hugely disappointed by the musical, that, putting that at the very end was like, oh, cool, good, that's, that's awesome, that's a great plot point we want to include in 2010, Andrew, you fucking pervert, like, it's so So gross and so unnecessary, and, like, I feel like, you know, they did a, you know, it is a stretch, right? You have to sort of forget that Meg and Madame Jury had a good relationship with Christine in the first musical, but like they do establish like, okay, now they're bitter and angry and they, you know, their, their only motivation is to get the Phantom's approval and, you know, get rich uh, or not get rich necessarily, but be successful and make all their hard work pay off. And like now Christine, if for some reason is ruining it because she got double booked with Meg uh, and Layla, as you point point out this could be a this could be this whole fucking dramatic tension could be resolved so easily by just like asking christine to hold on for one day literally guys listen to me producers are important okay producers are very important and i'm not just saying that because i'm trying to be one producers are important if eric had a fucking intern just a production manager to be like hey buddy eric phantom mr y sir uh Meg's debut is supposed to be on Tuesday, but you also booked Christine. Which one would you rather do it that night? And do you want to boot the other one to Wednesday? That's it. That's it. I've solved your conflict, Andrew. An intern. An intern with a calendar. That's it. There's literally no, and there's even a point where Christine ends up alone with the Phantom. And this is what pisses me off about this fucking conflict, okay? (laughs) Fucking listen to me. This is what pisses me off. The scene is as such. Meg, Gustav, Phantom, Christine, all present. We are just out of the only banger in this entire fucking show, which is The Beauty Underneath. Aaron and I both recognize that song's a fucking banger. I love The Beauty Underneath. Eric is like, did you think I wouldn't notice? As in, this is my fucking son. He sings in halftones. And he's Look how emo. sad he is. <laughs> that means he's my boy. <laughs> and Christine is like, Meg... Take Gustav. I need some time alone with Mr. Y. Okay, bet you have him alone. Great. Fantastic. You already got introduced to the fact that Meg is upset because you got double booked. Here's opportunity number one to be like, hey, buddy, Eric. Eric, whose dick was so good, I thought about it for 10 years and sang a seven minute song about it. Eric, buddy, what's going on? I could stay an extra day. I can watch Meg perform. And be a supportive friend and then sing the next day. That'll be cool, right? Um, but instead, Phantom, who threatened Gustav not 10 minutes ago because he thought he was Raul's son and didn't give a shit about him then, even though he was a child. He was like, hey, uh, now that I know that's my sad boy, you guys are free to go. 
free to go. No strings attached. Free to go. You will get your princely sum. You can pay off your debt and raise my son. Just promise you will not tell him I am his father. That could have been the end of the show. Christine, unprompted, picks up the songbook and is like, I promise this music won't go unheard. Bitch, did he ask? I don't think he asked. I think you could have taken the songbook and what is it, 1915? We are not far away from a fucking recording device. Send him a fucking gramophone. I don't care. <laughs> Why did you, or I mean, whatever. Be like, hey man, I've raised your child in secret and I didn't tell you even though I probably could have tried to find you even though I thought you were dead, but apparently it's my fault that I didn't know you weren't. You know, I get it. This is important to you. You wrote this tacky, non sequitur, weird, bland Broadway theme for me. Sure, I'll sing it, but I'll sing it on Wednesday. What is this? And then to make it worse, Phantom is like, you know, you're doing me this favor. It's You're, you're right. You're right. Whatever, whatever. They could, it could have been chill. It could have been like, hey, you're doing me this favor. I get it. Thank you. I'll move back to Tuesday or whatever. You know, it's fine. No, this motherfucker shows up for his bartending shift. Because that's what he does, apparently. He tends bar at his own circus. And he's like, hey, Ra, actually, I decided I do still hate you. Um, what if we make a little bet? What if we See, make a little bet? That actually rules is the thing. That's the only good part of the musical is where he's like, I'm going to throw away all of my responsibilities and any good ideas just because I want to fucking dunk on Raul so bad. That actually kicks ass. That does, uh, yeah, I do love a petty, Eric. I do love pettiness, um, so that is fun for me. like, mm, I found out that you've been raising my kid for ten years, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> and you've been mistreating him, you fucking tool. Um, so, but, like, it just, it, like, they throw away any characterization to, like, make this, like, weird nonsense conflict that has no tension. At least the original Phantom, the tension was all these characters had, like, disparate motivations and the Phantom was doing fucking murders. Bring back the murders. The, I mean, yeah, like the only murder was, uh, you know, against Gustav. And like, you can't really have him try to kill his own son and then be like, oops, never mind. Like, you don't think the audience is going to remember that, Andrew? No, he doesn't. Because uh, the, there are definitely parts in this where the audience does not get treated as if they understand musicals. No, it's... But like treating love never dies like it's this love changing song when it's quite bland uh should we gosh we have uh we have a lot of talking points but <laughs> should we talk about the songs in the musicals since we're here yes okay let's talk about the songs you know let's talk about our personal top five because I, I do want to you know we're, we're going to be down it a lot here. Let's talk about the good, good, good parts of these musicals. Uh, and then we can sort of eviscerate the rest of the songs because I do have the, the numbers <laughs> in our notes. Um, so I'll, I'll go with my top five for Phantom first. I think the Phantom of the Opera, you know, the title song is one of the best songs, not even just in musicals like ever. Like, I think it's just a fucking bop. It's incredible. You know, it has this very fun, um beat that that is very catchy it's in a it's in a minor key i love minor key and it ends with you know christine hitting this i think it's an a right is it an a or an e this like super super high note um that i i think rules and i i'm so i'm so excited every time an actress does that it, it kicks ass 
Yeah, Christine's had such insane fucking notes in Phantom that every time there's a Broadway production of it, she has to be double cast and the actresses have to go off every other day. I noticed that when I was reading the Wikipedia, I was like, man, this was actually just like such a hugely taxing role, which I, you know, um, you know, we can have a conversation about whether or not that's a good thing to do is to put your performers through it. But I think if you're double casting, I think that's probably fine. If you give your your actress some rest, good, great. Um Second for me is Point of No Return. I think it's super, super sexy, uh, especially uh, especially in the 04 when we have, uh, by the way, Emmy Rossum from Shameless plays um, Christine Daya in the 04, which is wild. Uh, uh, Gerard Butler of 300 fame playing the <laughs> Phantom. So we have these two, you know, pretty attractive people, you know, smoldering at each other. Uh, you know, there's lots of, you know... Uh, illusions to hell and i mean he's playing don juan you know the the famous uh you know lothario right i think it's it's a sexy song and it also talks about you know it's like literally the bridges cross so stand and watch it burn like we're past the point of no return like that slaps incredible uh masquerade not only is masquerade a great way to kick off your second act um avoiding one of the the very big downfalls i think a lot of um musicals have including you know i bring this up a lot but i think wicked does this thing where like it it, its climax is at the end of act one with um defying gravity and then the rest of the musical is a downhill slope because nothing is as good as defying gravity in that musical Uh, i think masquerade uh, gets around that problem by being a really good song by being a huge ensemble number with these incredible costumes and all everybody's got these masks also just like from a personal note Sierra had her sweet 16 as a masquerade like party in it and like we all made masks and that was really fun so like that song will ever be forever tied with with that memory in in my mind like you know her her mom rented out part of a theater it was really cool um so just you know personally I love masquerade Sierra I I remember Sierra was in a local production of Phantom of the Opera I remember going and seeing her there and you know seeing her in her masquerade mask it was really fun and cool um uh, four is wishing you were somehow here again. I, it gives Christine a lot of characterization. You know, she's in this goth ass um, graveyard where she's just like, you know, crying at her her father's tomb and talking about how alone she is. And I think that's really important. You know, she's like, why why can't the past just die? Um, you know, she is constantly haunted by the fact that you know her her dad is gone and, and left her alone. Um, and you know, we, we could talk about the fact that she's not really alone. She has the Jiris, you know, she has all the other rest of her dancing friends. She, she's probably fine, but I do like that brief moment of just focusing on Christine's characterization, uh, and not necessarily love triangle. Um, and then think of me fondly, which one it t- takes place in, in the musical about Hannibal. I love Hannibal Barca. Um, but like, again, I saw Sierra, you know, this was when we were both very young, uh we were you know we were only allowed to see each other once a week so this was very much like a romantic like you know think of me when we're you know when we're apart song and i I just have a lot of fond memories of that so uh it's you know not to get too mushy on this podcast but um i fandom fandom is very closely tied up with my relationship with sierra so this is a very important musical to me No, that's very sweet. Honestly, so uh, 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 audience, just to, to kind of give you a peek behind the uh, curtain, a lot of fourth wall breaking in this episode, yeah. whatever. Uh, just to give you guys a peek behind the curtain. Uh, so every week when we watch or listen to or do whatever, consume the media that we're meant to consume for that week's episode, we take notes. And then we read each other's notes and comment on them uh, before we uh, uh, put together the outline or Aaron puts together the outline usually. 
Um, and then I make edits to it. But uh, I have never wanted to watch a movie with two people more than I want to watch Phantom with Aaron and Sierra. Because this week, uh, I got a lot of, like, insight in quotes from Sierra, who I'm also, like, very friendly with. Like, I, I would... I love her to death. She's she's fantastic. A fantastic little Aries. We love that. Uh, <laughs> we, we love a Scorpio Aries pairing. Um, so, but yeah, it's just, like, so so nice to, like, read her thoughts on it, too, because I know you guys watch a lot of this stuff together. So, yeah, I, I feel like... When if, we do have our big house party in uh, Ohio, that'll be our after party, is just we'll all be, like, kind of hungover and watching the O4 Phantom together. I do demand that we make masks. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Can't wait. Um, so yeah, my top five, I think, is is not dissimilar. Um, I think The Phantom of the Opera is a fucking iconic banger. Mm-hmm. That organ opening, like, like that's the thing, bah, is bah, Love bah, Never bah, Dies. Bah. Yeah, there it is. Love Never Dies. I mean, it can't open with a Phantom theme, right? Because it's not Phantom. It's, it's Love Never Dies. Like, how do you top that intro? You can't. So it's it's so good. I, I love, I love, 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 love Phantom of the Opera. Um, I also, um, I do always love a good ensemble number. So I do love the prima donna number. I'm a Carlotta stan. I think Carlotta was done <laughs> wrong. Um, and prima, uh, notes slash prima donna is this like very funny number where like everyone gets a note from the Phantom. Everybody thinks somebody else in the group wrote the note from the Phantom because they don't believe the Phantom is real. Uh, and everybody storms. And it's really funny because they're storming in with these notes and, and Carlotta is like pointing at Raul. Now I'm pronouncing it like like Christine. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Emmy Rossum got to us. Raul. <laughs> Raul. <laughs> she's like pointing at Raul. She's like, you wrote this note. And Raul is this like, 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 I hate to use the term. He's like this soy boy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yes, finally, the podcast <laughs> takes the right wing turn. We always knew it would. So she's pointing at him with this letter that has this like giant, aggressive wax seal red skull on the back. I'm like, baby, that's not his aesthetic. What are you doing? Yeah, so, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but it's the it's the theater owners begging Carlotta to come back, and it's just like mm-hmm. this really fun round. And I'm a, I'm a weak bitch for a round. I love a round. Um, then. Um, I agree with you. Also, Masquerade. Banger. Paper Faces on Parade, baby. Masquerade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also then, like, uh, uh, Phantom coming in in that red outfit with the sword at the end. Mwah! Chester's so cool. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Love that. Uh, Point of No Return. Also agree. Super sexy. Mm-hmm. Very sexy. Very into it. Uh, it's, it's, it's good shit, and I'm there for it. Um, and then a fifth one... I, like, I wish I could say think of me. I like think of me, but I don't love think of me. That's fair, um, yeah. I think I think wishing you were somehow here again. I just like like that song melodically more mm-hmm. in terms of the the slower ones. And I also think it's good character work for Christine. Um, I think my favorite lyric, just as a as a bonus to my top five, I think my favorite lyric in all of Phantom is silently the senses abandon their defenses, like also very sexy phantom thank you for that yeah i mean i've criticized uh a lot of the lyrics and a lot of andrew lloyd weber's musicals uh see the bible boys episodes on um joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, dream uh that musical is just a disaster um but like yeah i think there are some really bangers of a line like i don't love um music of the night that much but like there is some inc- pretty good music like lyrical work here 
Yeah, there are a couple of great lines. So what's your top five for, for L&D? Okay, the problem with Love Never Dies is that there's only two good songs in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we agree on what they are. <laughs> Beauty Underneath is the best song in the musical, and it almost justifies its existence. Uh, it, it is very good. It's very intense. You know, it is such a big break from the rather bland, um, you know, melodies of the rest of the of the musical. Um, I, surprisingly, or not maybe surprisingly, but I think I have a weird one for my second, which is Devil Take the Hindmost Reprise. Um, because yes, with it, Gustav vocalizing with, in the back? Yes, because of Gustav's cool, like, I think that's great. Uh, I love that shit. That little emo boy just sort of making a sad uh, whistle. Um, and then, you know, we have Jiri and Raul and Eric all singing their, their like, you know, inner monologue, like, oh no, what's going to happen here? Um, and again, a bitch is weak for a round. Yep, it's a good round. It's a good round. Um, third is Devil Take the Hindmost, where just Eric and, and Raul just snipe at each other for <laughs> four minutes. Uh, and in the, in the, um, melbourne production at the very end eric grabs rival by the throat and like slams him against the bar and they just like sort of singing at each other like that for a couple of seconds and it is let me tell you very sexy <laughs> all right <laughs> i gotta see where i can get it with this fucking <laughs> wow we're we're already devolving it um you wait oh god we're not, wait. Even, we're not even halfway done folks <laughs> um and then like uh those are the only three good songs in my opinion uh i think the dear old friend song is okay because it does sort of set up like i like how they're like singing at each other the 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 jerry's and the um whatever raul's last name is the the you know Christina Shani. yeah but like that's not their last name he's not like raul de Shani, is he he is now i guess so yeah <laughs> uh, whatever he- I would agree with all of those. I really like Dear Old Friend. I also really love both The Devil Take the High Most. I do think the reprise is better because of uh, Gustav's little vocalizing, which you uh, performed so beautifully for mm-hmm. us. Thank you. Uh, I do, I think, listen, I don't have any like scathing reviews for any song in Phantom. I think they are all at least fine, right? Yes, yes. So, like, some of them are just meant to get you from point A to point B. That's fine. I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, it's whatever. They're perfectly workable. But yes, fine. I do need to shit on one song in Love Never Dies. Is it Love Never Dies? No. Oh, what is I it? Think Love or Never, I think Love Never Dies is fine. Okay. I think it's Beneath the Moonless Sky. Okay, yeah. And listeners, you'll remember we already did this uh, <laughs> 50 episodes ago. We're going to do it again. Um, and we're going to do it again and then again. Beneath <laughs> the Moonless Sky. <laughs> in my life wanted two characters to just fuck on stage and stop singing like I do during Beneath the Moonless Sky. And listeners, not for sexy reasons. Not for sexy reasons. Just because I'm tired of Christine and the Phantom standing there being like, hey man, 10 years ago we fucked and I've been thinking about it every day since because I guess you have a magic lasso and a magic dick. It's so long. It is It is seven minutes long, and then it's followed up by Once Upon Another Time, which is like another five, six-minute song about how much they still want to fuck each other. Here's the fucking thing, though. It's not a seven-minute song. It's two songs. It's two songs. Listen, that scene goes on for fucking ever. I define that scene as the moment Raul locks out the door to the moment that uh, 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 Phantom leaves, right? So, like, to mm-hmm. me, that is that scene— 
five songs mm-hmm. and none of them move the plot forward. It's so slow. The pacing just absolutely drags. Act one seems like it takes forever. And like, ugh, it's so, it is so, and you'd think that this man who's written, you know, like two dozen fucking musicals at this point would know how to end and act. Like Beauty Underneath, if you had made Beauty Underneath the last song in, in act one, like, okay, fine. That's a good way to end it. But no, then it comes with Phantom Confronts Christine, which is just like, kind of like, hey, anyway, all this stuff that we've been very heavily hinting at the whole time, uh, we're going to say it out loud now, just so you know, in a not especially good song. But we did spend, you know, roughly 20 minutes of this musical's runtime just talking about how good that ghostly dick was. It's just and, like, I can't. I can't with you, Andrew. And that's a theme that comes back. That is not the first time they talk about the Phantom's good dick. And also, by the way, by the way, uh, Phantom Confronts Christine is the song I was talking about earlier when, when Christine unprompted takes the songbook and is like, your music won't go unheard. The other thing I need to talk about is that during Phantom Confronts Christine... Madame Jury pops up out of a cone. <laughs> and she's just like, I see. It's your son. And now we must compete with your son's legacy, which doesn't make any fucking sense. But okay, whatever. Why, um, why is the refrain from beneath the moonless sky start playing? Did Madame Jury fuck <laughs> Eric? Uh, yeah, I was like, was this a weird menage a trois? Like, I don't know. Because uh- <laughs> that's, that's the sex song. That is the horny song. Hmm. So why did Madame Giri's solo end in the orchestration from Beneath the Moonless Sky? I think just Andrew was just like, oh, I need to put something here. Uh, did she touch him and she held him? Don't. Don't do this. <laughs> I know a stupid amount of words from that song just because of how long it is. I mean, they repeat a lot of them, so. Very repetitive. Um, listeners, if, you f- if you're feeling particularly masochistic, please do go look up the video because it is... It's a lot. Yeah, I mean, there's just like, like we were alluding to, like the "Love Never Dies" song, which is supposed to be like the grand aria that Christine sings, affirming her love for Eric. It's just underwhelming. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a fine song, but I don't think it should be the crux around which this musical, you know, orbits. And they named the musical after it, and it's not very good, unfortunately. Um, it's hugely disappointing. The musical's, like, musical crux, right? So, like, watching these back-to-back was really, really interesting because the jarring thing about the Love Never Dies music is the addition of an electric guitar. Yeah, I I kind of love that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it it does. Listen, in uh, uh, our favorite song, Beauty Underneath, it does fuck. Yeah, it kicks ass. Uh, But it is jarring. But the funny thing is, is, like, it doesn't, like, Love Never Dies is just, like, the most generic Broadway ballad. Yeah, and I mean, like, that's, you know, not again, not keeping with the characters, right? Like, the reason that Beauty Underneath has all these, like, electric synth music in it is because, you know, the Phantom is supposed to be, like, very futuristic and ahead of his time. Like, that's why he's writing all these wild, you know, experimental uh, operas in in the first musical, because he's, like, a genius, allegedly, right? He's predicting the rise of rock music, and, like... But it's like, no, but for the th- the person that I love the most, I'm going to give the most basic-ass aria to. It's just like, come on, Andrew, we can do better. Yeah, and it is implied that he's, like, worked on it for 10 years or some shit, you know? It's like his, like, big, unheard. Also, okay, I do have to ask you this. Aaron, 
you and I enjoy experiences, right? We like to leave our homes and do things occasionally. I mean, uh, this podcast suggests that maybe we don't love to enjoy experiences, but we do have them. We do have them, yes. You're, you're... Listen, we, we ran around Pittsburgh. Yes, we did. It was fun. We had a we good time. We did do things. Uh, if you bought tickets to a circus, mm-hmm. we're presented with an aria. How would that make you feel? I would be extremely confused. <laughs> uh, I'd be like, so when's the elephants? Like, uh, this lady is a great singer and all, but uh, it doesn't really fit in with your, you know, phantoms and automatons for my delectation. Like, I'm not sure what's happening here. Yeah. So, uh... uh it makes no goddamn uh, sense. It makes no goddamn... It makes no goddamn sense. Um, and the other thing I wish to interrogate you on is, um, speaking of phantoms and automatons, do you remember the horseless carriage that his three, like, goons came in? Yes, yeah, at the beginning, that's where that picks them up and, like, they get transported to his, you know, phantasmagoria or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, when we say horseless carriage, I do mean, like, just, like, a carriage without a horse. Mm-hmm. Hey, does the... Is the... Is he, is he magic? I mean, it's kind of implied that he is, right? Like, you know, uh, there, there's that gross bit where they, you know, imply that he's descended from Romani. But like in, you know, in the in the original book, right, it talks about how he studied under, you know, various Eastern, um, you know, people. And he built like palaces and labyrinths for, you know, pe- you know asian asian kings and stuff like it is kind of you know implied that he is magical in that way that like western europeans back in the 19th century think that everything from asia is magical right and like he retains that kind of superpower um throughout this this series of of musicals which is very strange like you know you're like oh yeah he's you know he, he can create this uh horseless carriage you know when it's really just like uh you know, we could say that he invented, like, fucking automated driving and, and ever, but, like, it's essentially magic, right? Like, okay, yeah, so he's... That's just, like, a fun thing in the universe that I think he's magic, explored. yeah. Like, I think yeah. he's canonically magical. <laughs> like He's a wizard, it's fine. <laughs> he is just kind of a wizard, and that's fine. Yeah, it's, 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 it's whatever. Uh, it's whatever. Okay, um, we've talked about the music. Now, let's talk about everything else um so Layla, can you tell me about your history with both of these musicals like when did you first see them because like i said earlier you know i first saw phantom with with sierra um you know and we watched like there was this the melbourne production was actually like on our local theater like i had to go and buy like special tickets to, to watch it um and like it was a good it was an interesting time um but like yeah like when did you first get in, you know hear phantom music I definitely saw the 2004 movie, like, right around 2004. Um, nice. And uh, uh, I liked it. It was it was fine to me back then. It didn't really stand out to me in, in any big way. And then I saw it live when I went on a trip with our high school orchestra in New York. That was really fun. Um, and I think, like, seeing that chandelier go up live really kind of changes your impression of Phantom. Because uh, it's just so... I would love to get orchestra seats to go see it, you know, and have that thing go up over your head. Oh, so you saw Phantom on Broadway. Yes. That's so cool. Yeah, because that changes everything, right? If you're actually, like, in the audience when that big prop comes up and then comes down later, like, that yes. kicks ass. 
Yes. And like, I want to be in an orchestra seat at one point when that happens, because I was up in the balcony and like still like it's that chandelier prop is huge. No matter what, like any competent fandom production will spend exorbitant amounts of money on that fucking chandelier. Um, And then I did watch the 25th anniversary filming of it that was on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's still on Netflix, but it is. uh, It stars uh, uh, Robin Karnlu, who is an Iranian actor, which I think is really cool as the Phantom. Uh, so I've seen a couple of different versions of Phantom, and then I've now seen the Melbourne production of Love Never Dies twice. Great. Good. <laughs> um, we've made reference to this before, but it really struck me in your notes how odd you found the filmmaking choices in the 04 Phantom. Uh, I was wondering if you could explain it to me, because like, I don't have the same kind of film understanding like background. I didn't study film like you did. Um like, I thought it was just kind of cool. I mean, I think it's fucking weird. I think there's some weird cuts in it, but uh, I, I think it's a fine movie. Um, but yeah, what, what are your gripes with it? Right. So uh, uh, it's fine. You know, everyone always shits on this movie. I think it's fine. It's fine. It's completely passable. It's a fine movie. There are two things about it that stand out to me. Um, one is that Andrew Lloyd Webber famously is a control freak. Uh, so in the making of this film, and I think uh, the Lindsay Ellis uh, uh, video essay on this points this out, he was insistent that it is it matches the stage production as accurately as possible. So like, yes, it is cool that those candelabras come up from underneath the water in the scene where he takes Christine to his lair, but the reason that happens on stage is to uh, simulate them going deeper underground. They're not mm-hmm. actually coming up out of the water. It just, it's a simulation because they have a limited amount of vertical space mm-hmm. to show them going underground. Because they're on a stage. <laughs> but in the movie, there's just this lake that they're sailing into and then just like literally hundreds of candles are coming up out of the water and then igniting uh, on their own. And it's just like so funny because one, it's just wild to see these candles just like turn on after being doused in water. Um, and the second is just like this whole scene is that famous drill tweet about my family has died because he his fucking candle budget is off the shits and it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, so I don't know if you guys know or remember this or Aaron, if you remember this, but like, uh, in 2000 and I'm going to say seven, there was like a huge blizzard out, an October storm out here in Buffalo and everyone's power was out for like two weeks. We went and stayed with our, our auntie and uncle and we lit candles all night to, to have light, you know, my, uh, with my brother was very young at the time and, and we needed light at night. I woke up every day with soot under my nose because you're just inhaling soot all night. That's why your ass is dry and ugly, Eric. Stop bathing yourself in soot all fucking night. It can't be good for you, man. Your lungs are probably shot. (laughs) Shot completely. Absolutely. How are you? No wonder you need Christine to sing, you dumbass. Uh, (laughs) So that was kind of my my first thing is like it's, it's trying too hard to be the stage production when it needs to be an adaptation of the stage production. And the second point of beef, which is related to that point, is if you're going to do an adaptation of Phantom and you're going to do it in a different format that isn't a stage musical, right? You need to be using the tools of that format in order to convey the point of the story you're trying to tell. So if you're going to do a melodramatic um, movie 
based on Phantom of the Opera. So that's an important distinction to draw when you're talking about adaptations, no matter if it's book to movie, stage to movie, whatever. You are doing an adaptation based on that thing. You're not just transposing. There is no, like, it just all looks like it's it's shot with a fill light. There's really no, the first time I see an, an example of cinematic lighting is halfway through act one when Meg goes into Christine's dressing room to go find her after the phantom takes her downstairs. Um, there's just, like, too many Dutch angles for some reason. Like, the camera's always tilted when it doesn't need to be. Um, but there's no, like, like, if you're gonna do melodrama, like, do melodrama, you know? Like, use a lighting setup. Get me some edge lights or something. So it's just, like, it's it's weird because it so desperately wants to be a filming of the stage production rather than a movie. And that's why, like, I, again, it's passable. It's fine, you know? But, like, I, it's not, I would love to see... Like, go full art house. I want to see, like, an A24 Phantom of the Opera where it's just, like, no one is trying to simulate realistic lighting. Like, you're just going for mood. I would kill for it. Um, Speaking of mood, I want to talk about the things that I think distinguish Phantom from Love Never Dies. Um, You know, we we talked a lot about how the songs are are vastly different, but I think, you know, just comparing, I mean, it's hard to compare a movie to a stage show, but we're going to do it anyway. Like, I think there's so much more character in Phantom of the Opera than in Love Never Dies. I think, I think, you know, and not just, you know, narratively, but just like aesthetically, like in, in the ways that the characters are or portrayed, like, you know, we talked about the quadrillion candles uh, in in his maze. Like that's so fun, um, and I don't think we get anything similar. I mean, we get a ton of candles in, in a couple of scenes. We get the big stupid Christine portrait, but we very rarely see any any things that really give us a hint of how extra and weird Eric is. Um, you know, but like in this one, we get the big fuck off skull seal. You know, we get his cool red death outfit. You know, we get, he has these little diorama, he has this diorama of the dolls in the theater, and, like, he'll, like, swap their heads around when he's talking about, like, changing who's playing various parts. Um, I think that's so fun, you know, I, I think, you know, there, there's no, Love Never Dies doesn't have a chandelier drop moment, right? There's nothing even comparable to that. There, there's not just a big thing that's like, holy shit, I can't believe they just did that. Like, I just wish there was, was something in, in L&D that that has that level of character and like i think those are the things that make phantom iconic like there is so much actual you know richness to the ways that these characters are portrayed and and you get this kind of idea of what they're like and i think they're so interesting yeah i think the closest love never dies gets is the beauty underneath right because it's like the Mm -hmm. big light show but the thing about it is like it's a cool set but nothing happens so I, i totally agree with you that like it just doesn't have it doesn't have the, the melodrama, the bombast, you know, which is, like, if you strip Phantom down to just its story, like, I don't really think it's anything particularly special, right? It's just a story of obsession. But putting it in that opera setting and, like, dropping that chandelier, like, that's the spectacle. Absolutely. Um, so in our notes, you did mention uh, that you think that the Phantom universe operates on video game logic, and I was wondering if you could explain that. Yeah, sure. So, okay, uh, uh, here's... Here's what I love about Phantom of the Opera. (laughs) It does operate on video game logic, which is to say that, like, nothing is as consequential as it would be in the real world to allow for, like, 
escalation, right? Dramatic escalation. Mm. And that is also kind of theater logic, but just the way that, like, Christine interacts with the world is very, like, main character in a video game, right? So, like, wherever she goes, everybody's story dumps on her. Mm -hmm. Um, You have your, like, expositional moments. Um, You have your different levels, right? You have the main theater level. You have the dungeon level. You have uh, Raul goes through a water level at one point. (laughs) That's Uh, one way to put it. There's, there's the graveyard level uh, where the inside of the tomb is lit red. And as John Wolfe said, red means scary. Uh, <laughs> and the entire time I was watching this, uh, I was texting with Marty. Heartforge.tumblr.com. They're Heart an indie the game developer. Yeah, got it. Got a plug. Got a plug. Uh, and uh, we were we were talking about how this would work great as a visual novel, like a rope where you could like have different romance options if Eric wasn't like, you know, her dad's age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe some people in visual novels like that nasty shit, though, so we'll see. I mean, like, even, you know, age him down even 10 years. 10 age years. her up. Age, age her up. up into her 20s. Five, you know? yeah, like, just come on. Can't be 16. Come on, Andrew. Um, Icky. That might not have been Andrew. That might have been the original. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, here, Here's the thing that I... I've been thinking about ever since we I, we watched these and we we've been talking about this this you know the the this web of um, Raúl, Christine, Eric, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about it in a lot of our media, especially actually you know anime, um, video games, um, but like, are love triangles bad or are they the only way that? male-dominated media allows women any agency. Well, I don't even think a lot of love triangles allow women agency. That is fair. (laughs) Because, I mean, like, I don't know how many love triangles you've consumed, but a lot of them have involved, like, an obvious choice. You know what I mean? Um, okay, who do you think the obvious choice in in Phantom is? Raul, who doesn't do any murders. That's a good that's a well-made argument. <laughs> and also, Christine is not terrified of him. <laughs> that's a good point you bring up. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I guess I was thinking of, like, um, you know, The Hunger Games is, is what I was thinking of. Because it, yeah. I, I think that's an example of a love triangle done, like, pretty good. Um, you know, we get Katniss, we get Peta, and we get Gale, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, she does have, like, a difficult choice because one's her childhood friend and one's the man who went through a lot of trauma with her. Um, and, and it does, you know, I guess also The Hunger Games is a bad example because Katniss already has a lot of agency outside of the love triangle. Hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, I think I think that's the first example that comes to my mind if you're talking about a, a love triangle where, like, you can't guess, right? Mm-hmm. Because, like, I yeah. genuinely, there were points when reading those books, I was like, I don't really know which one she's going to end up with, you know? Yeah. Um... But uh, uh, there's also, like, you know, Twilight's the famous one. Mm-hmm. And y'all, Team Jacob, I love you, but, like, Jacob was never any real competition. Yeah, sorry, y'all. So, and, you know, we, we are going to watch those movies on mm-hmm. this program. That I is going that to I happen. I pray will not happen every single night as I go to sleep, even though I know, like, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> I pray, please take this cup away from me. And I look into the cup, it's just full of breaking dawns. And yet, it's not the worst movie I'm going to make you watch this year. Christ on a bike. <laughs> so, 
Death Note uh, looms over my shoulder. I'm so glad I don't even have to bring it up anymore. just watching me, mocking yeah. me. Ryuk is just watching over you as you sleep and pray for uh, not having to take in Breaking Dawn. Uh. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, I watched a, a very there's a very interesting YouTube video by a creator named Julia Cudney, and she talks about love triangles. And I think that um, it really is in the execution of the love triangle, right? Because you can't really call it a love triangle if the affection doesn't go both ways in both legs of the triangle. Um, which in this it doesn't, right? Because as soon as as soon as Christine realizes that the Phantom is like a danger to her, she has no real affection for him. Um she has only affection for Raul. Like they keep wanting, wanting to run away together. So it's not really a love triangle, but I do think that they can be very lazy. Mm-hmm. Um so when they're lazy, they're bad. Yeah. That I, I think that's fair. That that's a good assessment of the situation. Um, you know, I just you know, we you think we would have kind of got over this problem of of women characters like just kind of being objects, and like I, I keep trying to see like in this this framing of a love triangle, this, this common trope, like is there some way that that allows women a choice, right? That allows someone to be like, okay, yeah, of course I, I I'm I'm in control of these situations, I'm in control of my relationships, um, you know, I, I am able to choose, I'm I'm a character with agency, um. But yeah, I mean, now that you you bring it up, it, it is hard to to think about you know stories in which that that is actually a, a genuine choice. Um, you know, unfortunately, Phantom included. <laughs> yeah, and even in Love Never Dies, right when Eric is not a murderer and gets aged down a little bit. Yeah, and Raúl becomes a fucking abuser. <laughs> yeah, like what what choice is there? Obviously, this version of Phantom, who is the father of your child. Mm-hmm is yeah. the superior option because the other option is a loveless marriage with a gambler. Rowl. Rowl. <sighs> it's like my second, it's the second funniest pronunciation of a name I've ever heard. The first funniest pronunciation of a name is in the original Broadway cast recording of the Anastasia musical when uh, Derek Klana as Dimitri insists on calling Vlad Vlad, which is very funny because he what he's trying to do is put a Russian accent on the word Vlad. But the problem with that being there is no such thing as Vlad in Russian. Um, the <laughs> shortened form of Vladimir is Vova. Mm. It's not Vlad. Yeah. We don't have Vlads. It's not a thing. Okay, <laughs> great. So it's just very <laughs> funny for him to be Dimitri Vlad. Nope. No. No. <laughs> nope uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, some yeah. russian localizers please yeah so raul is uh raul is my second favorite in the- it's really it's really good it happens in both productions it's great um <laughs> so stupid huh, layla we have come to our favorite recurring segment yes. on mortified the mortified yes. marketing minute i want you to know i am working on getting us a musical sting okay excellent <laughs> I, I am eagerly awaiting that mp3 uh, but in the meantime, we have two. We have each come up with an idea of how to market um, a new repackaged version of the Phantom of the Opera slash Love Never Dies. Um, Layla, do you want to go with yours first? No, actually, I want to hear about your Phantom Les Miserables Les okay. crossover. <laughs> Great. Okay. So, um, as you all know, the Phantom of the Opera takes place in the city of Paris, uh, where another very famous musical, Les Miserables, takes place. 
I think that in this era of media crossovers and big corporations uh, just throwing their IPs together and being like, do you like this? I think a great way to introduce a new generation of people to some of the most iconic musicals in, uh, you know, the English canon uh, is to do a Les Mis sequel that is also a Phantom prequel. Uh, I do not know how this would turn out. Uh, I think I think it's probably that Cosette and Marius's son turns out to be Eric, right? Um, and like we we kind of see how he grows up, and we see you know Cosette trying to be very loving, um, and and, and uh, Marius being kind of an idiot child because he is not very smart. <laughs> um, and I think that it would be very very fun just to see like you know, Eric and Madame Jury grow up and, like, have to deal with fucking, um, I don't know, I guess, like, Javert's niece or some shit. <laughs> like, just hounding him over the city and being like, ha I will catch you, 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 the devil child. Uh, my, my uncle swore to hunt you, you down and now I will finally have revenge. Um, and I think that would be extremely funny. <laughs> Uh, do you know what's excellent about that idea? Uh, two points uh, for you to consider for uh, this beautiful crossover. Mm-hmm. One, it's that um, there is, as I was listening to you talk, there is a beautiful little musical fit, which is that the Phantom of the Opera theme does fit with the 24601 thing a little bit in the sense that you can go 24601 24601 shit so that is a thing you can use I'm That's exhuming for- Victor Hugo as we speak we have to make this a thing <laughs> so just so you know and the other thing I want to propose to you is if we are connecting French things of course um, as we do does that mean there's a world in which we could market Les Mis by making a combined prequel of Les Mis and combined sequel to Beauty and the Beast? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. Or, no, no. Hold oh, no. on. Hold on. Hunchback. Mm, that's... Which, mm. So Hunchback comes before Les Mis is what you're saying? Hunchback comes before Les Mis, and if we do imply that Quasimodo did fuck someone... Eric could be a descendant of Quasimodo. Yes. Okay. So Eric. Okay. Eric is descendant of Quasimodo. Who is Qu- Quasimodo? I think is probably Valjean's dad because they're both super strong, uh, yes. and have have a kind heart and are Catholic. Um, <laughs> and I think that. Oh. Okay. I guess. I guess Javert is a descendant of Judge Claude Frollo. I guess. Who I also, fucking guess, dude. I hate that timeline. I don't know who <laughs> who allowed Frollo to you know give them a child, but I guess. Yeah. Maybe he's like a like a great nephew. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's you know he he got he had some his title got passed on to some some rando. Um, God. I love I love this French musical cinematic universe we're building um, because <laughs> that <FMCU>. yeah <laughs> uh, where eventually we could have fucking the Beast from uh, Beauty and the Beast show up at the end of Phantom and be like I'm here to recruit you Eric <laughs> I'm building a team <laughs> <laughs> the Beast would need to be wearing an eye patch in this situation of course yeah because it's a gritty reboot. <laughs> 
Yeah, I would demand it. That, that is uh, almost as good as the the tweet somebody made where they were talking about Corella and they were like, y'all are shitting on Corella until at the end of it, Maleficent shows up and is like, I'm starting a team. And you get a Kingdom Hearts movie. Have you out ever of it. heard of the Kingdom Hearts <laughs> initiative? Oh my God, I'm literally hey, getting chills. By the way, chills. Disney, I would watch the shit out of it. <laughs> Disney, we keep telling you, hire us. These are incredible ideas. You we own everything steal- already. <laughs> We will steal the idea of that tweet and we will make it manifest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Layla. Do you want to talk about the good the good universe where uh fan of the opera is actually lesbians? Yeah, okay, so I have to give credit to Marty for this also because this was a collaborative effort last night as I was drinking my whiskey's milkshake. Um and uh so here's here's the revamped story of the Phantom of the Opera that I would like to make into a video game that I think would be excellent. Um again Thank you, Marty. Really workshopped this with me. Um, so fuck Raul. Raul no longer exists, right? In this in this universe. Or if he does exist, he's not romantically relevant. You know what I mean? There's yes. there's an okay. option there's an option for Raul and I will get to him. Um, but the main point here is, is that our uh prima donna, lady of the stage, Carlotta, suffers a tragic accident and uh shuns fakes her own death and shuns herself to become the Phantom of the Opera. Uh, and in because she is both vain enough to have like even a minor burn be cause for like an absolute meltdown, but yes. also has cause for when Christine takes her place to have motivation to want to fix her singing. Ah, uh, okay. And then Christine's other romantic option in this is Meg, who's already incredibly gay for her, sees sources, <laughs> the gay chin touch in the hallway in Phantom, and also the way they hold their hands while they sing at each other mm-hmm. uh, during LD, of course. Quite gay. And also mm-hmm. the way Meg gets really excited when Christine's coming back, she's like, Christine? Like, all right, hold it in. Uh, uh, so that is kind of like the main plot. I think that would be relevant. Marty came in hot with, a uh, Christine would be like, <laughs> Meg would be like, Hey, maybe you should stay away from the soprano and the sewers that hates you. And Christine <laughs> would be like, I could fix her. And then all you hear is Carlotta <laughs> shouting from the sewers. Not before I fix your singing, bitch. <laughs> That's my, uh, my contribution to that. And then, uh, uh, if we did want to have the actual phantom, uh, and Raul in this, I do think they would have to be kind of like side romantic interests because I do think they have a lot of unresolved sexual tension. See the sword fight, see the choking on the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, another galaxy brain uh, Marty take was that uh, Carlotta and Phantom do not know that the other one exists and they just are both kind of cranking the theater <laughs> and Madame Giri is just trying to figure out which one's which and what the fuck is going on the whole time until <laughs> at the end really it's good. like... Carlotta and Phantom are in the opposite, like, boxes in the theater, and they're just pointing at each other like the Spider-Man meme. I like the idea of them both, like, trying to execute um, Raul and Meg, but, like, they're in the same part of the sewer, and they're like, wait, hold on, shit. Like, (laughs) I didn't, I, I booked, I booked the great. Did you not, I... I had this room scheduled, like I had the noose ready and everything. Like, like, can you just give me like thirty minutes? Like, no, I'm I'm kind of in the middle of an execution. Also, can you just? <laughs> well, my favorite part about like if they don't know the other one exists is like Phantom sends a bunch of threatening notes and and Meg is like, dude, you need to tell Carlotta to shut the fuck up. Like, what is happening? And and Christine could be like, that's not this is not Carlotta. 
is going on. So you have to simultaneously clear Carlotta's name, but also figure out what the fuck is going on with the Phantom. Listen, it would be great. Uh, uh, let us make this video game. I think I, I would have a lot of fun. Uh, I could make Raul into a very endearing side character, um, and it would be a great time. Let Raul just be kind of a useless himbo. Like, I think that is the best incarnation. I love a man who sees a sword and flees. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, <laughs> that's my kind of guy. That's what he does. He oh leaves his tiny girlfriend completely exposed, and he flees. Listen, he has a lot of money, but you know what money can't buy is... um new lungs uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah not in that time period <laughs> um all right layla when we are not <laughs> rehashing revamping and honestly creating the best uh, musical cinematic universes uh that this or any timeline has ever seen uh where can people find you on the internet <laughs> You can find me at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter and Tumblr. Um, I write essays every month. I'm not quite sure what I'm writing about this month. I'll figure it out. Aaron, where can people can find you? Wow. Where can people can find you? Where can people find you, Aaron? <laughs> uh, you can find me on the internet at AaronSXL. Uh, I also publish uh, essays and stories under the name Aaron Voigt. Um, you can also listen to the other podcasts I do at The Bible Boys. We're probably going to do an episode on one of the... Um, history channels uh battles bc uh episodes about the great warrior joshua in the bible which i at some point which i think will be very fun um our theme song is obsolete by keshko um from the album filmmakers reference kit volume two you can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com layla it's time to bring the curtain down uh take us away if my diva commands yes i do (laughs) 